Hey, I'm Amber. Welcome to Politics But Make It Fashion. Come interview with me. This week on Politics But Make It Fashion, come interview with me. I had the pleasure of interviewing Krupa Taylor. Krupa is a seasoned professional known for her expertise in fostering team connectivity, personal growth, and human-centered design. Her unique approach integrates highly effective communication techniques and mindfulness practices into her facilitation method. With an MBA from Columbia Business School, Krupa has demonstrated her proficiency by conducting workshops from renowned organizations such as Amex, Title, and Capital One. Additionally, she has served as a mentor for over 25 changemakers, guiding them in pursuit of establishing more inclusive, collaborative, and engaged workplace cultures and environments. Kruba's commitment to personal and professional development extends beyond her workshops. She is a creative force behind an empowering newsletter characterized by its unapologetic honesty, which inspires subscribers to embrace self-love and purposely manifest positive change in their lives, both personally and within the workplace. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. I'm Amber Viola, and welcome to Politics But Make It Fashion. Come interview with me. This week, I have the pleasure of having an old, old high school acquaintance on. Uh, Her name is Krupa Taylor. So Krupa, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Amber. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So what I remember of you and how we met is I grew, I came up here to NEPA uh, my senior year of high school. So there was like three people of color there. So so I definitely remember you because you stood out due to that. Um, Also gorgeous. And I just remember you being so insanely smart as well. And like always wanting to talk to you and like want to have interesting conversations with you about like random things or whatever. But um, we we didn't talk or keep in touch after we graduated from high school. So what were you kind of doing after that? Yeah, no, first of all, let me just say thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, What was I doing after high school? So after high school, I ended up at the University of Michigan. Um, Truth be told, I wanted to go to NYU, but they did not accept me. Um, Michigan did. And I really wanted, once NYU had sort of said no, I always had applied to Michigan. And then I sort of went all in. (laughs) I was like, I need an American experience. This is great. Um, I became a huge football fan. I joined a sorority. I did the whole bit um, while I was at Michigan and really, really enjoyed my whole time there. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I ended up at a New York school later on in my <laughs> educational career. I ended up going to Columbia after um, a few years working at Unilever coming out of Michigan. So I think what you were sort of asking was where where did I think I was going to go <laughs> and maybe yeah, where yeah. I ended up. Um, I always knew I would be in the business world. That to me had always piqued my interest. I never knew exactly where in the business world it would fit, mm-hmm. but I knew my, so my dad had owned hotels. He had, you know, had convenience stores at one point and he was very entrepreneurial and growing up, I was quite entrepreneurial too. I mean, you know, my cousin and I would have a lemonade stand. We were always <laughs> trying to figure out and it wasn't necessarily about money. It was just, to me, it's always been about solving problems. Yeah. So like, I love business problems. I actually love community problems. I love cultural problems as I've learned later, but for me, business 
problems just felt like the most straightforward at the time. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Michigan and graduated and came and worked at Unilever, I was really fortunate to work in this group that was all around gathering customer and consumer insights. And really all that means is you're curious about what people do and why they do it. Yes. Right. And it really like fit what I like felt. I'm I like, even you mentioning, you always wanted to talk to me in school. Like I wanted to talk to everyone and understand their stories and like why they did the things they did and why they didn't. And so that like innate curiosity was always built in me. Um, But while I was at Unilever, these problems, like I said, that I like to solve kept on coming in my mind, one of which was this idea around um, my mom had hundreds of sorry. So I'm um, a child of immigrants. My mom, although um, Indian origin, like her grandparents are from India, she was born and raised in Zambia, which is in Africa. And my dad came from India. And so they're first, you know, generation immigrants. I'm a first generation American. And my mom had hundreds of saris and saris are these six yards of fabric that South Asian women wear on occasion. And it's really all about the wrapping Um, and they wear them to special occasions. So I had come up with this idea um, because she had hundreds of these and I was starting to meet people that were going to South Asian events that would ask me to rent or borrow my mom's attire. Yeah. Wow. I think there is a business solution here. And so I created a company called the Sari Exchange, and it was all around a peer-to-peer rental system for South Asian clothing. And you have to think this was in 2011, I'm talking about. Rent the Runway hadn't even gained traction at that point. So the idea of renting was completely new concept. Forget about renting from an entity. This was now about renting from another person. Right. So it was circular fashion before that became a word. Um, so when I come up with this idea, I was very passionate about it. I knew I couldn't necessarily do that with a full-time job. And that's what landed me at Columbia. Um, I wanted to stay in New York, you know, still fulfill that NYU (laughs) dream. That's so funny. I wanted to go to NYU and then I wanted to go to Columbia afterwards for, (laughs) for graduate school. And, uh, the reason I didn't is because my family ended up moving my senior year of high school. So I didn't want to move again. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And I I don't regret it, but I wish that I still would have just said, you know, done it. But I I know one day I'm going to be there. But that's what I wanted. It's so funny. That was my whole like claim to fame. That's what I thought that I was going to be doing. I mean, isn't it funny when like curveballs come your way? You you will totally be there if you've if you've said it. It'll, yeah. it'll definitely happen. But I get it. Like rerouting over multiple times, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I decided to go to Columbia, and it was really about a focus on entrepreneurship. And I get there; it's amazing. I start this company. Um, you know, I'm even being told by some of my advisors like I should go for funding and. I have a really viable idea. And I, at the time, did not want to dilute my brand. And I didn't want to take direction from anyone else. Mm -hmm. It would be a common theme. (laughs) So it was either... um, Well, because with money comes power. So if somebody is giving you that money, then are they going to have control 
exactly exactly and then you know it's really about choosing the right person that's going to be funding you and at the at that point in time i i can't say why i had just said no you know what i'm going to do is get some more practical experience and as i was mentioning this was 2011 there was a lot of education that needed to be done in this space if i wanted to create this peer-to-peer rental system not even create but to sustain it And so I didn't want to do that at that time. And I knew that if I ever came back to it, then someone else would have put the money in to educate people. And then Mm -hmm. I could ride the coattails because I knew how to logistically (laughs) do it. Right. So I kind of let go of that first venture and ended up um, going into consulting. After that, I um, dabbled in entrepreneurship again, but more as like an operating officer Um, a friend had been privately funded to open up a woman's wear boutique. And so I was like, great, I'll get more practical experience on operations. Mm -hmm. So I went and did that with her for a year and a half. And then I ended at American Express, which honestly, when you think about it, and I tell my story to people, they're like, how did you end up at American (laughs) Express? And I'm going to be really honest. I mean, the reason I didn't um, go for my full venture when I came out of school was because I had loans. And right. then once I had done the operational role with my friend, I was coming out of a little bit of financial distress. I was in a very serious relationship and I would say I didn't take care of myself from a financial wellness standpoint, mm-hmm. which yeah. meant I needed stability. Yeah. I needed I had always gone the riskier route in terms of entrepreneurship and I just, I needed something very, Yeah, I can, I can totally, totally understand that. Yeah. And I'm so happy though, that I ended up at Amex. It was another, what I always talk about when I say Amex, it was another ground to learn and gain so much experience about corporations, about how leadership works, about systems and processes and Um, it was great. You know, if for me, it was like another education and then being able to apply that education quite quickly within all the different roles I had. And Amex was so amazing to me. I mean, I not only had a product management role, but I was, um, running a call center for a bit. I I really got to do a lot of different functional roles in a lot of different business units. Um, and so I'm so thankful for that. But at some point, I was getting bored, as you know, <laughs> one does, and I decided I wanted to go to a smaller company. And so I ended up at a luxury uh, media and travel company, which is called Prior, and it's a great company. Um, I, again, came in as um, an operating officer, and... Long story short with that one is I kept on not enjoying being second in command. I think it's really the gist of it, right? There's, there's a bunch of other things, but those things are not really relevant as it goes to the story I need to tell. It's more about why am I continuing to put myself second, whether that is in relationships or work or, you know, second in command, like I can do this. And so I had this moment last, March. Well, it really was the March is when I had the idea and June is when I left my job. Right. Um, that I was like, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm really going to do it this time. Like I, so that is where I kind of started following your journey initially is I had, I don't know how, but I had seen that and I, I went through and I had read it and I was like, Oh man, like this is, yeah. Like <laughs> I, I love this. And it wasn't a time of everybody was kind of doing 
transitioning and things like that. But I think sometimes you really do kind of have to like go big and go home and like let go and just jump in and, and try something else. Exactly. And I am such a planner. I mean, just listen to my story, right? It was like, okay, I need stability. I go to this big corporation. Oh, I'm looking for fun. I'm going to a startup. Like I am a planner. I research, I think about these things and I make usually very calculated moves, even if they seem, you know, at certain points, like, um, a riskier move, let's right. say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I felt compelled to, to at least try. And talking about financial wellness, I, you know, coming out of Amex, I had put myself in a position to have, you know, that freedom, which mm-hmm. I'm really proud of because there were moments where I obviously wasn't. Um, so yeah, so here we are today and I've been out from a full-time role now for the last, I'd say four months. And I'm figuring it out and it's been really fun. So you mentioned that you found me because I started writing this newsletter. Yes. Um, That was like my first outlet and foray of like really expressing myself um, in ways that I hadn't really in the past. And then from there, it was just starting to think about what I really enjoyed. And so far where that has landed is coaching. I really, you know, I love going back to that innate curiosity. I love how people think and I love that I have now frameworks that I learned that I can help people when they're in like places of transition or when they're making decisions or when they're going through something that they feel alone in. Um, so I knew I really wanted to lean into that. And then so is that what you would then kind of like, I guess, label yourself as, as like a coach? I think I'm a coach, but I'm also, um, it's hard. I, I really consider myself multifaceted. And so when I like even try to say like, I'm a coach, like that's one aspect. Yes. Right. Um, but then I'm a facilitator. Like I love ideation. And so when I talk about these business problems and solving problems, sometimes it's not really a one-on-one thing. Sometimes it's meant to be more about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's hard to really say like, this is exactly what it is, but where I've kind of netted out is like, it's building connection. Mm-hmm. And that could be through being a coach. It could be through facilitating group conversations. It could be about talking about gratitude and hosting events that have to do with gratitude. So to me, it's not really like, oh, this is what I am. It's more about the mission that I have or that I'm on is really about connection with myself, with others and with the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you, so in this kind of like, you're very organized type A, you know, (laughs) person like that. So how do you find dating in the role of being you and not (laughs) making yourself small? And how do you, or, you know, how do you kind of adjust roles? So say you're super assertive type A at work and then you come home and you maybe want to just not be that, you know, how do you try to navigate that? Because I get a lot of um, questions and like women talking to me who are you, who are me, who are out there and they're killing it and they're really doing what they're doing, but they're by themselves. Yeah, I think it's a great question. What I would say is prior to this like breakthrough that I had in March about- And I'm not saying this to like center men, you know what I mean? No, no, I don't think it is at all. No, 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 no. I think it's the right question. 
when I had this sort of breakthrough, I think it helped me see how I was showing up everywhere. So when I was saying I felt like I was in second command, that is actually how I showed up when I dated. I would show up in the passenger seat and then I would have tension because I think I always had this feeling of being in the driver's seat. And maybe it's not about being in the driver's seat, but I think I didn't give myself the, the grace or the um, ability to have the main character energy. And it's interesting because now I have time for dating. I mean, there were times when I was working that I was just obsessed with work. There was really no space. And I think that was something that also created that dynamic. But now I am authentically showing up as myself in this, you know, I don't really call it power, but in this seat of feeling very confident with who I am and where I'm, where I'm at. And weirdly, I actually think it's attracting more of the people that I want in my life. Mm. So, um, I think in the past I did shrink and I did think I had to conform to be a certain person that I really wasn't. And I think that that caused a lot of tension internally because I would, to your exact point, show up at work as one person and then show up in my dating life as another. And I really believe in duality. So it does work for some people, but for me, I am like, I am an all in person and I am who I am. And I think, um, the more I lean into that, the more I'm actually attracting the men I want in my life. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's so good. Um, I, and I think you have to just fully just be who you are and, and okay with being like, if you're gonna make this decision and it's wrong, I'm okay with telling you that. Um, and that's hard. (laughs) That's so much harder than it sounds. Especially being a woman. And then for me, especially being a woman and then especially being a woman of color, especially in an area like this up here to where, you know, you're working and, and I'm doing things and I'm in a commanding role, but I still find it sometimes difficult to do that because of the perception of what am I going to look like when I'm doing this? Am I, am I going to be like looked at as a boss? Okay, so I think where we're at, if I'm correct, as you were saying, you find it hard of how, of like being perceived as either a boss or a bitch. And it, yes. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, yeah. So it's funny how you articulate that because I feel the same way. There's moments where I feel like I'm moving in the same moment between victim, villain, and victor. And you really have no idea like which one someone else is thinking about you yeah. um, from. But what I've really been doing, if I'm being honest, is like trying to be my authentic self, um, whatever that perception is to someone else, it's not in my control. And so for me, it's more like, you know what, I'm going to show up as this person and then I'm going to think through later on, I'm going to reflect on, I try to reflect on at, at night, like, was there something I could have done better? Could I have been a better person? Could I have been kinder in these moments? Um, and so I do more self-assessment so that I can be more conscious and aware versus really worrying about, well, what did that person think? Um, and I think that has guided me to know there are moments I'm acting as the victim. There are moments that I act as the villain and really it's about forgiveness and then moving forward and, you know, and sometimes the there's time. just going to be people who are going to be upset. Without and a doubt. <laughs> if you're a people pleaser, it's just there's there's nothing you can do that's going to, like, rectify a situation. So. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. 
I don't play for the haters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. So when you started writing um, your newsletter, had you ever done anything like that? Or was it just kind of like a, wow, I really want to start putting my message out there and getting it out there and let me try a bunch of different things? So I had always been a journaler since as long as I can remember. I think since I've been in like second grade, I've always journaled. I've always felt the need to write down my emotions for some reason, or even if it's not my emotions, just the actions I might've taken on the day. And something clicked in me that I was like, you know, maybe these are not so bad. And I don't even mean like not that these are good, but maybe someone can relate. Like, right. especially this is the one thing I actually love about social media is like, it allows people to share parts of themselves, which of course I know can be not the best at times, but people were sharing things that would impact or like affect me. And I was like, I wonder, like, I wonder if I shared, if there would be anyone that felt similarly to me and that just had never been articulated in this way. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I took that risk and I took that chance, but writing has been something I've always, I just, I, I love writing. I don't even know why. <laughs> um, it was the sharing part that I think was a little bit harder for me, yeah. but that moment in March that I kind of have reflected on before, right. When I left the last job, it was really to me about moving from this like victim to victor mindset where it was like, don't be so caught up in this identity that you formed and start doing experiments and see what feels comfortable. And don't be afraid to do these experiments because you're curious about others. You can be curious about yourself. Right. And so yeah. that curiosity that I was lending or giving to others, I really started giving to myself. And I think that's what you're now seeing of like, I'm doing more Instagram stories or I'm putting out like a newsletter every week. Like, it's things that have always been in me that I just think I've never released. Yeah. And, and you, and it's so crazy because it's like you, you have all the stuff inside you and want to put it out, but for whatever reason, you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I started with just having my own website and kind of going from there. And I did like, like quarterly journal upkeeps for, you know, people to follow along with me and my mini were doing and stuff. And then I really started just pushing on social media, just basic content about me and my life and, and my mental health struggles and being a veteran. And I found that there was so many people who connected with that and that there wasn't really anybody doing that. You know, there wasn't anybody in that space, especially for women yeah. saying these things. And I was like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, guys. We're just, we are figuring this out as we go along. I knew I had a lot to say. And when I wanted to start my podcast, I, you know, I was just like, I'm doing it. Like, I, I was planning it out. I had my pros and cons list. I had, you know, everything very detailed, very strategically planned out. And it was about me just jumping in and saying, okay, today's the day. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I think when you're experimenting with <clears throat> a lot of these things, a lot of times you're going to be doing them alone. Yeah. And, you know, you can't, it was just International Podcasters Day and the biggest message I really wanted to share with people was like, you can't wait for your friends to help you do it. You can't wait for like, if somebody, you told somebody about your newsletter and like, oh my God, well, I want to draw pictures for you. And I want to do this. And you're kind of waiting for that to get it started. And just, just, instead of just saying, 
know what? I'm just going to do it. It might be bare bones. It might not be super great, but I'm going to put it out there and then I'm just going to keep working on it, you know, and keep going and building it up. And know what? In a couple months, it might say, that's not what I wanted to focus on. Because for me, I realized quarterly updates and stuff that wasn't really for me, but I liked the podcast form. But then I've recently come back to that because I started writing a book and I wrote a short story and released that. And now I'm working on my chapter two of the short story and putting that together. And if you would have asked me if I was ever going to do that, I said, no, (laughs) (laughs) I love that though. Like you do have this experimental mindset. And so it's almost like no one can even touch you in those moments though. Right. Because it's like, well, I'm just seeing how this works. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about whether this is going to work or not. And so when someone says it's not, you're like, okay, cool. I was just trying, like, you know, it it doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Right. And what's the harm that's going to say like, Hey, Amber, you did a podcast for six months and it didn't work. Okay. But I did it. Like, exactly. No, if nobody reads totally. my book, I, I wrote it <laughs> and yeah. I put it out there. Like you're, and I think people have to be willing to just take that step and really be willing to do it on their own and try so many different things. And it might not, it honestly might not work out at all, but you can fail forward, you know, because it just moves you on to the next thing and a, and a bigger thing even if it wasn't necessarily like a quote unquote success, but what is a success? Yeah. A lot of what I do with myself and with my clients is defining failure and success. And I I heard this amazing thing the other day about keeping a failure journal. And I'm, I'm going to like start toying with that idea too. But yeah, I think, I mean, you, yeah, I love what you're doing. I think it's amazing. Even, even the way you started your podcast from what I remember, what you had written somewhere was like, you didn't even have a working necessarily iPhone, (laughs) right? But you did it. And like, that's, that is so amazing. Like so brave. And, and I'm like really inspired. I was very inspired by you as well. And, you know, I had, I had left a job and it was a great paying job and it was great, but it was just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, for, and I was like, so I had to do my transition period. You know, I went back to school, finished my master's and I was like, at least just give me a little leeway to figure out what I'm going to do for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then try to come back out with it. But one of the things I wanted to go back to that you were talking about was when you're talking about becoming an entrepreneur and then you were talking about different things you were doing with organizing and things. There's so many other aspects of being in business, of being an entrepreneur than people realize. And I think that you don't necessarily have to like open your own brick and mortar business or like be a CEO to kind of still work in the same, I'm an entrepreneur spirit. Do you understand what I'm? Yeah. Well, the way I define entrepreneurship is really about innovation. And so I completely agree with you. It's not about starting a business at all. It's just about being more innovative about the approach you might take or how you're going to do something. So yeah, I'm totally with you. Yes. Cause I, I, my mom is an entrepreneur and she's always wanted her own business. And I've always been like, I don't want my own business. I don't, that just seems like a lot. Yeah. And then as I, I mean, probably eight months and nine months into the podcast, like, and I had gotten um, a grant and different stuff. She was like, you have your own business. Like that's, that's what yeah, you're doing. That's what you're and doing. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Didn't even think of it kind of like that or, or anything, you know? 
And it's just crazy. But I think that I was holding myself back. Um, and I, I, I know I made myself small and I know I dumbed myself down. And that's something that I'm still working on being better at. But once I stopped doing that and once I stopped being afraid of like, being better than somebody else but not really in that you know what I mean it yeah. made me feel like okay with okay for me to succeed you know okay you for give you yourself permission yes yeah right totally that's powerful and to be able to stand in that you know and and to be able to stand in this in a space of like I left my job and right now I'm figuring it out and I'm not embarrassed about that and I'm not ashamed about that like this is my journey this is my process and I'm living in it yeah, I love that. And that's that's the thing. This is all of our journeys. And whether it's you get to make the decision of leaving or your company lays you off, it's kind of like we all have a lot of the same experiences at different times, how we interpret those experiences, how they kind of come to us or at us and all of that. Like, of course, that's different. But sometimes the struggle is exactly the same and we forget that. Right, exactly. So we will take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Come and join us at the inaugural Freedom Fund Gala. This will be our first gala for the NAACP Lackawanna County branch. Come together to make a positive impact in our community. This event is a celebration of our collective efforts towards a more inclusive and equitable society. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to be part of something truly special. This event will take place on Saturday, October 21st, starting at 6 p.m. and it will go through 9 p.m. It is at Fiorelli's, which is on 1501 Main Street in Peckville. Welcome back, guys. So I wanted to turn the tide a little bit and change the conversation. And I wanted to talk to you about your experience being at Burning Man. And so, first of all, you were gorgeous. <laughs> You're so Number bad. one. And it's like, that's on my list, that and the one day go to Coachella and just to like do that. And I literally was like, she's my age and she was there. So... I'm not going to feel bad about that because that's what people always say is, oh, you're too old to go or whatever. And it's like, no. Oh, the average age at Burning Man is 37. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. You're not old. And I love that. I love that. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about it in in that aspect. First aspect of like being in our 30s and still being able to do things that are fun and liberating without the sense of being kind of held back so how did you feel like when you were going did you initially know that it was the beating age was older or um no I didn't necessarily know that the age was older it was something that someone told me once I was there and I thought that was interesting so I have been wanting to go to Burning Man for seven years this was the first year that it called in the way that everything flowed to let it happen. Um, and so of course I went, um, but what I will say, and something I kind of have like dabbling with lately is this idea of like escapism and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're in our twenties, 
we are really looking at fun from an escapist point of view, typically. Um, hold on. Are you there? Yes. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. Let me, let me start over on that one. Sorry. Is that okay? I just yes. like, playing, playing with my phone. Okay. So, okay. I, I'm going to just start from the beginning. Um, so I didn't know about the age actually until I was there. And so once I was there, I was like, oh, that's such an interesting fact. And it's nice to know that I'm in the average. I'm not actually old here. Right. <laughs> um, but then when I think about having fun at this age, what I would say is I may be taking some of the same actions as I did when I was in my 20s. Like, you know, I'm going out, I'm dancing, sometimes I'm drinking, sometimes I'm not. And I think the main difference is when you're in your 20s, you're doing it because everyone else is. You're doing it because you want to be mm. part of something. You're doing it because maybe you hated your job that day and you're looking for an escape. I would say in for me, at least in my 30s, I'm not really doing any of those things because I'm looking for an escape anymore. I'm usually doing them because I'm interested in the wine that night, like for example, or I really like the DJ and I know the music that that DJ is going to play is really going to speak to my soul. And so I think I could be doing the same things. It's just how I interact with those things that's really made it different. And so for me, when I think about, oh, I'm 30, I should, you know, can I have fun like this? And it's like, of course I can. And the greatest part about this is, is it's evolved with me. It may be the same place that there are 20 year olds. It may not be, I have no idea, but it's really about my engagement with, with that activity or whatever it may be. So right. yeah, yeah, I don't really think of, and it's, you know, I, I really do believe we're going to live to like, we're 100 at this point. And so I'm not in any, I'm not in any rush to like get anywhere. It's like, I'm here to enjoy and, and like find pleasure and like work through my challenges. And so like, however that shows up, I'm not going to judge myself for it. Yeah, definitely. So what was the, you know, you wrote some really powerful things about just your time while you were there. So I guess like, what did, what did you learn? So Burning Man, I would say, is like a microcosm of the world to some extent. And But for me, it allowed me to be hyper-present. Um, and because I was so hyper-present, I feel like those big revelations were able to come about. Um, so for me, like the biggest one that I still am thinking about is like playing big. You hear about dreaming big, right? It's like dream big, dream big. And it's actually going exactly to what you were talking about before we went on the break, where it was like, just go and do something. That's kind of the energy I left with. It was like, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like go and do it, play big. It's not about dreaming anymore. It's about doing. Um, So that was one of the biggest, biggest takeaways for me. Um, and because I had thought of it as a microcosm of the world, it was like, well, I can also operate then in the actual world to some extent with these ideas that are like coming up in my head or, you know, it's like, again, going back to that experimental, it was like, you're there for eight days or however long you might be, um, camping and there's, it's good that it's a short period of time, (laughs) um, 
but you, you can see yourself operating in a specific way. And what's so beautiful about it is like, you're like, wow, it's me that's operating in that way. Yes. This, this magical place is allowing me to do that, but you can look at the world in that way too. You can look at the world as magical and decide how you're going to operate in it. And that's, that's kind of what I came out with. It was like, play big and you're not always going to win, but you didn't always win at the playa. I mean, at the end, it ended up being a national state of emergency, <laughs> right? Um, but that's like life. That's that's what life life happens. The weather happens. It's about preparation. You know, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad preparation. Um, and so I really took that to heart. Well, and I, guess. I think the preparation for them was kind of bad before the weather. So it seems yeah, like I mean, there were the some things thing... overall that were like. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just depends. Honestly, it probably depended by camp. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, um, yeah, it was unexpected. So of course, yeah, totally. I, I'm, I think there was a lot of people that weren't as prepared for right. sure. <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask you, this kind of goes into that. So with like festival, festival attire and the whole vibe and clothing and things, I really think that us millennials are redefining, redefining what it's like to dress as a quote unquote adult and what it's like to move as an adult through society. Because I think a lot of us are still playing the same way we did when we were younger. It is just different now because we're adults. There's a lot more of us who are single with no kids. So I think a lot of that stay at home responsibility we don't have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that fashion is kind of the same way because we're, we're evolving it and we're changing it. And in some ways, I think we're making it more accessible and casual for everyday people, but still putting our own kind of flair on that. So kind of what is your perception on kind of our fashion evolution that we're in right now? And also in terms of like festival fashion for for us, um, as my old co-host used to say, women of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I Yeah, I think we're redefining what fashion is to your exact point. Like, I mean, COVID also just made it such an interesting point in time because now we felt more comfortable wearing leggings all the time. Yeah, That wasn't necessarily a thing. Like it was in major cities because you were going to a workout. There was a reason you were wearing leggings. Now it's like it had become the norm for a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think now people are ready to express themselves in different ways apart from leggings, which is great. Um, You know, maybe it's just my personal philosophy. Age is nothing but a number. And if you look good and you feel good, you can wear whatever you want. And do I think millennials are really leading that wave? Yeah, definitely. I think, I actually think, to be honest, it's the Gen Xers. It's that forgotten generation, like, that are in their late 40s that still look amazing because they've been taking care of themselves. And so, you know, a lot of them you're looking at like, oh my God, they must only be in like their late 30s. You realize they're older and you're like, great, they look great. Like yeah. I can do that too. <laughs> and, and I so, think people don't really know how old people are supposed to look. Cause it's just yeah. so funny. Cause you'll see a picture of somebody and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe they're 39. And I'm like, that's what every 39 year old, it looks like, looks like that. Basically. Yeah. Like we're not, you're not like decrepit over here. You're gonna, you know, and I think you're right that Gen X is still kept a lot to themselves. I think they did a little more quietly than we did, but yeah, I think they definitely kept their a lot more casualness too than than their grandparents. 
and things like that. Definitely. And you, we have to give it up to the Gen Zers. They're not looking at us like, oh, you're 40 and you're wearing that. Like they don't care. They're like, you're 40, wear whatever you want. We don't care. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like allows for so like, you know, I would say like maybe our parents' generation, I do remember being like, wait, mom, you're going to wear that. Like (laughs) I would never want my child to say that to me now. Right. But I do think that was kind of like what we thought back then. Right. And so I give Gen Zers so much credit for not having that judgment. Right. And also not having, um, I remember growing up and it was like, you can't wear, like we didn't wear sweatpants out. Unless, yeah. Unless yeah. I was specifically going pr- to practice from practice somewhere like that. Like, no, you had to wear, you know, you couldn't do that and do things. And so I know for me, that was something I kind of had to like, kick out of my head and get over and it's after covid i was trying to look like i was going to the met because i was like i <laughs> you're over I, it. if yeah. i see another sweatpants i'm gonna lose it like i can't guys we have to, i was like no there's i went the opposite end of from casual to being like i am wearing a full beat today I in the office it. alone hello i love it <laughs> hello Um, And then let me just answer your thing about festival fashion. I mean, festival fashion is interesting. I think I'd love to see it be more circular. And there are definitely ways that that we're trying to do that. Like when I say we, I mean like now that I'm a burner, I guess. Um, (laughs) What do you mean make it more circular? Like more, um, if you're not going to wear it, it's not just about throwing it out. It's maybe like thrifting it or gifting it to someone Mm -hmm. who may want to wear it. Because, I mean, a lot of these festivals, I mean, forget about whether it's Burning Man or not just festivals in general. It's it's a consumption economy. It's like, what am I going to wear? I have to have a look. And like, it does create this, it's great for the economy if that's like the key performance indicator you're looking at I get it but then it does create a lot of waste right um so yeah my we're seeing that with concert fashion as well um there have been people talking about you know once the errors tour leaves the city it's good thrifting because you have a lot of the things that people bought specifically to wear the concert that they're now thrifting or donating, doing different things. But I think that's definitely such a good point. And I mean, there would be, that would be such a great little business is to sell, like resell fashion that, in um, that people had worn previously. Cause I mean, think about it, you're wearing it probably once. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, that's, we talked about some good with social media and sharing. That's the bad of social media. It means, Oh my God, someone can't see me in the same thing again. And it's like, no, people can, like, it's cool. Like, it's not that serious. Um, so, yeah, I mean, festival fashion, I have a hate-love relationship yeah. with. Because, like, I love it because it gets me to a lot, like, it allows me to express myself. Um, it's just figuring out ways to make it better for the environment is right. what I'm And how do you think we could do things more sustainably? Because for me, it's, my issue is I don't, consumers, yes, we have, our own personal like stake in the game but overall it's like the corporations are controlling so much of this and they're the main ones producing a lot of waste and I feel like we're blaming the consumer instead of the corporation but then also at the same time it's like how do we tell people who literally can't really afford to go anywhere else besides Shein 
and Temu. Yeah. And how do we tell them, like, well, you need to be sustainable, but yet you need to buy clothes for the office because you really don't have anything to wear. And so you can't afford to go to these other places. And people are delusional when they try to tell you that it's cost the same, relatively the same because it doesn't. But how can everyday people be sustainable or be more sustainable? It's a great question. I'm not really sure. I don't know the answer, guys. I'm asking. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it is a really great question. I'm not I'm not really sure. I mean, give me um, a group of people and we'll ideate together. And I'm sure we'll come up with a number of different concepts that hopefully we'd be able to act on. But I mean, there's a, it's a redistribution of um, goods in some way. And that's not really happening. So I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah. Because I, I would love to be, I love clothes. Um, I love fashion, obviously. And I would love to be able to be more sustainable and different things. And, you know, lucky for me, I've relatively been the same size kind of my whole life. So, like, I have clothes from high school. I'm going to yeah. rewear a dress from our senior year. Oh, my this gosh. This year. So you. And, and, it, and it's... But I was able to kind of keep those things and I'm just privileged enough that my body didn't change significantly enough that I needed to get rid of those. But people's bodies go through changes. So it's not it's not fair for me to put that on other people like, oh, well, why don't you keep things? Because everybody can't do that. And then you're moving and stuff just happens. And it's like I had people ask me, well, where can I go to kind of like buy stuff where I don't feel guilty that I'm making some poor little Indonesian kid kill his fingers, you know? And I'm like, I don't have the answer for you because I'm not sure. I For me, it's just about treating the clothes with respect and trying to preserve them and, and keep them in the best condition as I can so that I can save them and then come back to them and, and wear them again. Because I am I am that person, um, Krupa, <laughs> that does not like to repeat things oh, sorry. Uh, no it, it it's uh, I'm working on it guys um, it, me and my therapist where we're, that's on the list but it is hard it, I don't know why but I hated being an alpha repeater it's something I'm doing so I know I'm not the only person who thinks that way but one way I found to kind of be able to do that and still be sustainable is I keep things and rewear them and, and change them around and stuff but we we have this huge issue with just um waste we do. you know um and where there's no solution and america's polluting everywhere else with our clothing yeah i mean one of the things i've been seeing actually in new york i think they do it on the upper west side is like these clothing swaps yes so we I, had like, one here certain... up in oh, the yeah. area here oh cool it was big too Ooh, that's, yeah. I mean, it may be more about, you know, grassroots kind of thing where you are like swapping with your friends and feeling comfortable with that and then allowing that to kind of grow. I don't know. You're right. I mean, it's, it's something I'm going to probably think about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I will start wrapping it up here, but I wanted to just find out like, what do you see for yourself in the future? Is there anything that you're kind of planning on starting uh, relatively soon or are you still writing it out and, and figuring it out as you go? I'm writing it out and I'm figuring it out as I go for sure. Um, oh, I'm God. hoping I, I'm in a state of flow and I'd love to stay in that state of flow yeah. and let's see kind of how that goes. 
Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, thank you so much for thank joining you. me. It, this has been such an amazing conversation and um, I feel so enlightened and I hope that you guys too. And I hope that you take from what Krupa said and just really let it sink in, you know? And I think that we need to live a, a life where we're willing to experiment with things and we're willing to just kind of go out and try it and, and see where it takes us. So I hope that you will join me back here next week for another episode of Politics But Make It Fashion Come Interview With Me. You can find us on TikTok at Politics But Make It Fashion, on Instagram at Politics But Make It Fashion 1, and our Facebook page is Politics But Make It Fashion. And we will chat soon. Thank you.